Welcome to the online service. Uh, so glad that you've joined us. You know, I, weddings are uh, such a joy for me to be a part of. Uh, as a pastor and as a friend to others, I've had the privilege to officiate many weddings now and, uh, and just love them. I love the promise, I love the hopefulness, I love the joy. Uh, for many, it's, the, it's one of the best days of their lives as they see people come around and, and gather to say, I love you, we're supporting you, we're with you. And then a couple to, to turn to each other and make promises before God and man to each other that they intend to keep for the rest of their lives. Now that was actually the crisis point for me when I was 20 years old. How could I keep a promise that would, ask, that would last the rest of my life? And uh, knowing that uh, I was human, knowing that people change, having seen some marriages fail, uh, when I was 20, I was struggling. I, like, can I invite Jeannie to marry me? Can I ask her uh, to trust me for the rest of her life, for the rest of our lives together? And, um, and that crisis was uh, met at the cross where I decided that with God's help, I could keep those promises. As long as we centered our marriage on Christ, that he would provide the faithfulness for that marriage. Well, today we are looking at a wedding of another kind and a promise, a covenant of another kind, uh, vows of another kind. You see, God himself had entered into a covenant relationship with his people, Israel, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 when he made a promise to Abraham and then subsequent promises that came, we are now looking at the failure of that marriage to a degree. The failure of one of those in the wedding arrangement, Israel, and how they had broken faith with God and how God had released them to be taken by Assyria first in the north and now Babylon in the south. The passage that we're looking at is Jeremiah 31 verses 31 to 34 and we are going to see God's incredible heart to be known by his people. God's, we looked at redemption last week and his desire to redeem us and restore us and justify us and this week I want you to see God wants us to know him. God wants us to be in an intimate relationship with him even though we fail. He has chosen to enter into a relationship with us. Well, our passage in Genesis 31, 31 to 34, where he makes a new vow to his people, where he makes a new covenant with, to his people, where he promises something to a people that have really failed. So we are looking at a moment of their lowest failure in Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Uh, the chapter is 31 and verse 31 it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This may not seem like a remarkable verse to you when you just read it out of context. Behold, the days are coming. But behold, the days are coming has been stated uh, seven times from the negative perspective and nine more times from the positive. The days are coming when judgment is coming for the house of Israel and for the house of Judah. The days are coming when they will be taken into captivity. The days are coming when God will judge them for their faithlessness. And seven times he says the days are coming and it is going to be ugly. It is going to be judgment. It is going to be discipline for their failed relationship, their failed marriage relationship with God. 
but nine times. He talks about the nation restored from captivity, that God himself will restore the nation that has been taken, both Israel and Judah. He, is, he, he talks about the branch of David restored to the throne. As Jeremiah writes this prophecy, uh, the first time is what is going to be a real crisis for Israel, for Judah, is that uh, the throne is no longer going to be David's, it seems like. The, the promise back in 2 Samuel 7 is that there would always be someone on the throne from David's line. And they were as sure of that as anything. And now David's line is going to be taken into captivity. And there is going to be no king on the throne from David's line. And the crisis is, has God given up on us? Is God, have we failed so much that God has said, I don't want to be married to you anymore? Well, the days are coming when the branch of David will be restored to the throne. That promise is found in 23, 5 through 6, and chapter 33, 14 and 15. The days are coming when the nation will enjoy peace and prosperity. Chapter 31, 27 to 28, chapter 33, 14 and 16. And a new covenant will replace the old Mosaic covenant, and that's the passage we're looking at today. And then finally, there is the promise of a new Jerusalem when the city will be restored and Christ will reign and, and that reign will be complete and, and, and the people of God, the marriage will be completely restored. God is making promises in the midst of a failed marriage. Not failed from his perspective, but failed from his people's perspective. He says, behold, the days are coming. There's good news. God is going to bring days. Now, the day isn't while Jeremiah, Jeremiah is writing. Jeremiah is writing to a time when Babylon is about to show up and take Judah captive, sack the temple, and, uh, and tear down Solomon's temple. But yet God makes a promise. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This is also significant because the house of Israel is already gone. The northern tribes have already been taken by Assyria. These are, will, will remain as the Samaritans. They're a tainted people that by the time Christ walks on the earth in the New Testament, the, the Israelites hate the northern tribes. They see them as a failure. They see them as something less than Jewish. And they don't trust them. The Samaritans are... Uh, Failed people and unredeemable from Israel's perspective, from, from Judah's perspective, from the Jewish perspective. The Samaritans are failed and yet God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I am going to restore the brokenness to my bride. That happened after Solomon's reign. The tribes were broken apart and God is saying, I am going to bring back my people and I am going to restore them to a new covenant declares the Lord. As you go on in, in verse 32, it says, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. 
This new covenant is not going to be like the old covenant. Well, what is the old covenant? The old covenant is the Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments, the law that came with Moses going up onto Mount Sinai and coming back and delivering the laws for, for the Israelites, the covenant law that if they keep the law, if they keep the promises that are in the law, if they, they have a chance at life and they have a chance at death, depending on what they do, if they keep them or they don't keep them. If they, they are now God's people and to not keep the Mosaic Covenant is not an option. If they, there is written into the promises the chance for redemption where they bring sacrifices, but we've already learned that those sacrifices are not sufficient to fully cleanse them, to fully heal them. And this covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, acted ultimately as a mirror that they could look into and see that they are broken. There's something broken from within and they need something more. They need a Savior. And God is now promising a new covenant that's different than the old covenant. The old covenant required their work for, to receive the blessing of God. It required their obedience to receive the blessing of God. And this new covenant is not like that old covenant. Well, I want to consider for a moment what was broken from the time of the Mosaic Covenant to the promise of Jeremiah. You see, God promised this covenant to Moses and yet that first generation at Kadesh Barnea chose not to trust their husband, God the Father. And the Israelites came back after examining the land and most of those spies, all but two, said, no, God can't do this. No, we can't take the land. We are but grasshoppers before them and God rejected that generation. If you reject me, then I will not let you come into the promised land. And that generation for the next 39 years would wander the desert. And then giving the promise to the new generation, he renews the covenant. And renewing the covenant to Joshua and those who are about to enter into the land in Deuteronomy that is written to the new generation that is entering into the promised land. And at the end of Deuteronomy, after talking about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and the application of the Mosaic covenant to this next generation, he offers them to enter into a new covenant with them then. Enter into the covenant anew, afresh. And if they choose to follow, God says that I will bless your land and I will protect you and I will provide for you and I will make you victorious. It is very personal to them. God wants them to enter into covenant with him. And yet if they don't, he says that death and destruction are your way if you choose to abandon your promises to me. And they enter into that covenant and they set themselves apart as they cross the Jordan River. And they consecrate themselves to the Lord. And after Joshua is done, he says to all that are listening, enter into this covenant with your husband and, and choose him. But as for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. And, and woe is you if you don't choose him. And yet, throughout the period of the judges, hundreds of years, again and again, the people chose to ignore their relationship with God, their covenant relationship with God. God kept his promises, but the people didn't. And eventually, by the end of the period of the judges, they reject God. They reject him as their king and they say, no, we don't want God as our king. We want a human king like the other nations. And Solomon, I mean, Samuel is so discouraged and God says, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Again and again, the people of God reject God as their husband. 
with the kings, Saul first chooses not to please God, but please man, and he is rejected. David does well. He's a man after God's own heart. Solomon, by the end of his life, fails, and the kingdom is torn apart. And from there, king after king after king, some return to God, some are revived, but most ignore God. And eventually, the nation is in the north is lost first to Assyria, and now in the south, and Jeremiah's job is to deliver the news that judgment is coming, whether they like it or not. And they might as well just relax and, and let it happen because Babylon's coming and, and they will carry you away. Trusting God now is to let them come and let the land be plundered. And in this failure, in the lowest point possibly for the nation of Israel, when, when uh, at least from an Old Testament perspective, the lowest point for the nation of Israel, right then God promises to renew a, like a new covenant, better than the first one, a replacement covenant. It's not like the Mosaic Covenant. I am coming to offer you a new covenant. This promise is too wonderful. Why is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the one that is able to give this incredible promise? Because we serve an incredible God who wants to be known by his people. He promises to restore the identity of his people. The identity of the nation Israel and we find out that eventually that promise extends to the Gentiles and to the church. This new covenant is in the new covenant era that is established when Jesus offers his life. In 1 Corinthians 11.25 it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it, talking about the, the bread at the Last Supper, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That act that God did, that Christ did in sacrificing his life on the cross, brought the new covenant. He completed the work and brought us into a new marriage with him, with new promises. Well, what are those new promises? The first is the promise of a restored identity, verses 31 and 32. The second is God promises a restored heart. God promises a restored heart. Verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. He is going to write this law onto our hearts. Uh, this has been the problem with humanity from the time that sin entered into the world is that our hearts were broken. Jesus said it's not what comes into a mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of a mouth that defiles a person because it comes from our hearts. And I think all of us have experienced anger and divisiveness and bitterness and complaining and frustration, especially in 2020. And yet the promise is that God will replace a new heart in us. It's what David asked for in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What's broken is what's within our hearts. And we desperately need that new heart. It's uh, in, in Romans 2, verses 28 and 29, we learn about the problem of what it means to be Jewish. 
what's been broken in people's lives. It's not just Jews, it's Gentiles, but in this case, he's speaking to the Jews. He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. This is why God is not impressed with religious activity that doesn't reach our hearts, that doesn't change us. This is why he's frustrated with hypocrisy in the church or within any of the people of God. Wherever the people of God are, God is irritated or frustrated with hypocrisy, pretending to be clean when what's coming out of us and what's in us is broken. God is coming to change us from within. He is going to write this new law on our hearts. How does he do that? Well, by the Spirit. That's what it said in Romans. It's by the Spirit, not by the letter. This new covenant is going to be given to us by the work of Jesus Christ and by the empowering from within of the Holy Spirit. That's what John, that's what Jesus talked about in John 3, 6 through 12. He's speaking to Nicodemus. He says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, yet you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This new covenant is about being born again. It's about having being born of the Spirit from within. It's an act of God. It's not spiritual activity that we do. It's a spiritual activity that God does from within us. This new covenant is an amazing promise. Jesus, God is offering through Jeremiah the promise of Jesus Christ to all of us so that we can be born again and that we can enter into a covenant relationship with God that is eternal, that will never end, and that springs forth from within us. Nicodemus was surprised at Jesus saying, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of that which we know and bear witness to what we have seen. Who are, who are the plural? Those of us who have placed our trust in God. At that time, it would have been his disciples who have already been changed to some regard by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit had quickened them from within and the change, the life change was already happening and yet the promised Spirit would come in force after Jesus was raised from the dead, after the work on the cross. But at this point, it's before the work on the cross and yet he's speaking of a spiritual work that's happening that the promise of it has not even been completed yet. It will be after the cross. We bear witness to what we have seen, and yet you do not receive our testimony. If I told you of earthly things that you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? There is a heavenly birth that's given in this new covenant that God's heart is to be known by his people, to be in a relationship with them where he is both known and we know him and he knows us and we are in an intimate relationship with him. I will be their God and they will be my people. Look again at this verse. It'll be written on their hearts. And the last part of verse 33 says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is personal to God. That's what makes weddings exciting for me. When I do a wedding, it is personal to the bride and the groom. 
It is something that is filled with hope and filled with joy. And yet God's marriage with us in the new covenant is not like the old covenant. It's not like the promise of old where we're only as good as how we've kept the law. This is a promise of God's goodness given to us through Jesus Christ. This new covenant was enacted by the blood of Christ. And it is shocking that God would promise this in our greatest failure. In our greatest failure, God says, I'm coming to you with a new covenant. His heart to be known by his people goes beyond our failures, goes beyond our struggles, goes beyond our doubts. When we enter into a relationship with God and enter into that marriage by faith, we receive the benefits of a new covenant relationship that was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, God promises to restore identity and God promises to restore our hearts. God promises us a restored intimacy. Those that enter into this relationship, he doesn't just do it reluctantly and keep us at hands at, at length. Look in verse 34, it says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What an incredible covenant promise that God makes to us. There have been promises again and again. God has shown his heart for his people by talking to them, by re revealing himself to them, by continuing to show what his heart is. And he did that through the law. He showed his heart. He told us what was good. He let us see where we were failing. But ultimately, he reveals himself so that we can be known. And ultimately, he revealed himself through Christ. And when we see Christ and know Christ and watch how he lived his life, we actually see the heart of God revealed for us. Unhindered intimacy. Notice the personal nature to this. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. This isn't just a nation at a time. This isn't a big church at a time. This is one person at a time. This is each one, each one his neighbor and each one his brother. And not one of them is going to have to hear, Know the Lord. That doesn't mean that we can't you know, teach each other and encourage each other. The scriptures tell us to do that. But what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is going to be deposited in each of us and the Holy Spirit will become our instructor. The Holy Spirit will be our helper. Jesus promised that in John 14, 26. He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That means that you can open the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit deposited in you and He will teach you the Word. He will instruct you. It doesn't mean that we don't need each other's teaching. It just means that all of us have access, direct access to the teaching of God through the Bible. All of us can come into His presence and by the Holy Spirit be instructed by God. All of us have value. All of us should be studying the Word of God. All of us have the privilege to come into his presence. We no longer need a mediator between us and God because Jesus is that ultimate mediator who has given us the Holy Spirit. And we can, by the Holy Spirit, be taught from within and understand the word of God. 
That's why I love to see that you open your Bibles and you're, you're looking for yourself and, and, and many of you will, will ask questions, not from a critical perspective, but you're like, Pastor, are you sure you got that right? What about this? And the Holy Spirit together, we teach each other, but, but we don't need someone else to represent us between us and God. We can study His Word and the Spirit can lead us. In John 16, 13, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said, He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. This is an amazing promise that the Trinity together has decided to enter into covenant relationship with us. And God the Father inspires God the Son to do what God the Son did on the cross, and, and He did it out of love for us and then God the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us and he's a down payment of this marriage relationship that we have with God. It's an amazing relationship where he gives us his spirit and, and it's written on our hearts and living water flows from within us and the knowledge of God flows from within us and the sword of the spirit is the word of God and as the word of God is poured into our hearts the spirit is empowered by the word of God to instruct our hearts. We should all be in God's Word and we should all be crying out to the Spirit to Him to instruct us and to lead us together. This is a promise of the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. This is, you know, we as humans might qualify one another, but before the Spirit of God, every one of us are His children and every one of us have the ability to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then finally, this covenant for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Praise God. Praise God that He is taking away our sins completely and no longer will our sins taint our marriage relationship with God the Father. This sin will be completely paid for. Now today, we need to work through sin because we have not arrived at who we will be one day when we are perfected and when sin will no longer have, its, have a part in our narrative. But today, you and I still struggle with sin, but because of Christ, we can work through that. We can confess our sins and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can put sins away and we can grow and we can conquer sin. How is that done? By the power of the Spirit within us, by resurrection power, by the Gospel's power and the Word of God at work in our lives. Dear friends, this covenant relationship is not just for someday. This covenant relationship is one we begin and one we enter into today and we begin to receive the promises that will be ultimately fulfilled when Christ returns and takes us home. Jeremiah is looking at a season of great failure. Jeremiah is seeing a country that is torn asunder by divisions and by uh, godlessness and by temptations and by failures and false prophecies and failed leadership. And uh, the truth is, is in those moments, God gives a view of what he's going to do. And I hope that in 2020, as we continue this series, you can get a new view of what God intends for us. 
God intends for his people, his, his heart is to be known by us. And in 2020, our loneliness can be turned to a renewed and restored relationship with him and, and acting, on those, acting on those promises that he's made to us of his spirit being within us and walking with us. We have the promises of a restored identity and, and even though that identity isn't completely restored yet, it will be one day. And even now, we have parts of that identity that are being restored as we are sanctified. God's promise of a restored heart. We are not completely pure and completely clean, but God is making us, his bride, beautiful as we wear the robes, the wedding robes of Christ, those righteous robes. And we have the promises of restored intimacy. And today we can walk into God's throne room with boldness. How can that be as sinners? Because all of our sins have been paid for. And we can walk into his presence. You know, I think of how much marriages fail today. And how one of my jobs is also to come alongside failed marriages. And, and people that are struggling in their relationship and trying to get people to remain and, and to stay with it and to not give up. But I want you to know that whatever, wherever you are today, that the marriage has failed already if, and, and, and you are divorced. If maybe you've been divorced many times or maybe uh, you failed again and again and it was your fault. Maybe it was somebody else's fault and they did it to you and you're struggling with your identity. I want you to know that there is a purity available to us through Christ that is eternal, that is complete, and it's based on the promises of God that he intended out of failure. In the middle of our failures, he says, by the way, I am coming into a deeper relationship with you, into a better covenant with you. I promise that I will forgive all your sins and restore your robes to white robes. I think of that woman in John chapter 4 who had failed five husbands and now was living with a man who wasn't her husband. And she was an outcast Samaritan woman. And um, so much so that she's given up on the hope of promises. And maybe you're giving up too on the hope of promises. But I want you to know that God's plan for us is complete redemption complete restoration. So I don't know what happened to that woman. I don't know what happened after she ran into that town that was her hometown and told people about Jesus and was obviously so redeemed and so excited about the promise of Christ for her that she leads the town to Christ to come and meet him and follow him and submit to him. This amazing woman, her next marriage if she, if she ended up being married again, whether it was to Christ, she was married to Christ, but if she married to another person, purity is the mark of her marriage. Restoration is the mark of her marriage. So amazing is the promise of God that he restores broken people like you and me, and he restores broken world like our world, and he comes close in this broken year of 2020 and aligns himself with his people as we consider God's heart for his people, I want you to know that his heart is to redeem and to restore and to revive and to come for us. And he chooses to make promises with us even when we fail at keeping our promises. I am so thankful that we serve a God 
who has a heart to be known by his people and to enter into a covenant relationship with, his, with him that from our very souls that we would be known by him and that we would know him and that we would enter into his presence with confidence. 2020 has been hard, but 2020 has served to remind us that the hope that we really have is our relationship with God. This world isn't our future. There is a new Jerusalem coming. There is a new covenant that's been given. There is a new home and the, the, the one that we serve is waiting to come back and get us. And there will be a wedding feast. And that wedding feast is when we are restored to him completely. And there'll be no more pain and no more suffering and no more darkness. 2020 only reminds us to long for that day. Dear friends, let's turn to God now and thank him for the promise that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for uh, that even in light of our failures, you still chose to draw near to us. You still wanted to be known by us. You still made promises to us, covenants with us, vows to us. And you are always faithful, even when we're not. Thank you for restoring us and redeeming us. And one day you'll call us home for our wedding feast. Thank you for the promise of our wedding day. In Jesus' name, amen.